This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, May 21st, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. John McCain's foreign policy is rooted in taking America's greatness around the globe. If that sounds like a neoconservative ideal, that's because it is. Cato Institute foreign policy analyst Malou Innocent believes more people should know about McCain's long-standing push for so-called rogue state rollback, arming and supporting internal efforts, and opposing regimes unpopular in Washington. McCain's foreign policy over time has been a quite a mixed bag. In the 1980s, he was opposed to Ronald Reagan's uh, deployment of Marines into Lebanon, but he was for the increase in defense expenditures and for Reagan's deployment of forces to Central America. In the 1990s, he was against the missions in Somalia, Haiti, and Bosnia, but then he later turned for the war over Bosnia. And then by the late 1990s, he was for regime change in Iraq by signing the Iraq Liberation Act. And then he had a policy called rogue state uh, uh, rollback, which essentially would mean that the United States would support opposition forces and dissident groups in foreign countries, odious foreign countries that would then overthrow their governments, um, similar to something like, say, the Bay of Pigs or President uh, Bush 41's uh, exhortation for Shiites in southern Iraq to rebel against Saddam Hussein, which actually failed. Um, so he actually picked up this policy again of rogue state role back in 2003, except criticizing President Bush's leniency on North Korea. Uh, by the end of his article, which was in a 2003 article of uh, Weekly Standard, he uh, said that there is a possibility of the United States using force against North Korea and encourage Japan to go nuclear. So just stepping back, looking overall at McCain's record, I mean, he's vacillated wildly between pragmatism and neoconservative thoughts. And most people liken him to, say, Teddy Roosevelt or Woodrow Wilson, sort of the uh, neoconservative strand of thought that thinks that America should use its military for the expansion of liberalism around the world. He talks a great deal about uh, America's greatness as a unitary actor, uh, a military greatness, uh, glorification of peace. But even though McCain talks about peace, peace is the end result. The causal agent for peace is militarism. That's essentially the dividing line between why he would support uh, one action by a president and oppose another one. Yeah, I mean, he was for the war in Iraq again in the early uh, in the late '90s. Uh, he was for regime change in Iraq again in 2003, even though he admitted that there was no connection between Saddam Hussein and Al Qaeda. But he remained consistent with his commitment to regime change. He also predicted that the occupation would be quick and easy. He was for the recent surge in forces, uh, the surge of 30,000 U.S. forces to supplement the 130,000. They're already there in Iraq. <clears throat> so as far as his Iraq policy is concerned, um, I, recently the, the Democratic National Committee ran an ad saying, oh, well, he'll be, uh, he wants U.S. forces to be in Iraq for 100 years. It was taken out of context because uh, McCain actually said that he'd like those troops to have a, a presence similar to, say, Germany or Okinawa or the demilitarized zone in North Korea. Isn't there a fundamental error that he's making in trying to say that, oh, our troops uh, operating for the next hundred years in Iraq will be very similar to the, you know, the, the our acceptance by the people there, exactly. uh, our credibility with the, the, the local government? that's fundamentally different. Mm -hmm. And that's a very important distinction that you make, and which is crucial and something that he overlooks. Number one, I mean, there's severe differences between Japan, Germany, and then Iraq. I mean, Japan and Germany are unitary states, uh, homogenous ethnically and racially. Um, also, I don't remember or recall the Japanese um, inciting insurgent attacks or suicide bombings against U.S. forces. I think it's possibly unprecedented. 
Also, um, I, argue, I disagree with the basic premise of the argument of maintaining those forces on the Korean Peninsula because our U.S. troops would essentially be nuclear hostages if a conflict should erupt. Also, I mean, people like McCain and war supporters tend to say, well, if we withdraw from Iraq, that America will appear weak, that Iran will gain influence, that oil prices will shoot up. But it's important to keep in mind that all those scenarios have occurred, and yet we have stayed. So the burden of proof right now is on John McCain to say that, well, if we withdraw, it will undermine our fundamental interests, because staying in Iraq has undermined our interests. And the longer we stay, the longer the problem persists. Many of the things that President Bush warned of before the Iraq war have occurred, but he was arguing uh, on behalf of what would occur if we did not go to war in Iraq, such as the increasing influence of Iran. Uh, Iran has had decades-long ties to Iraq. I mean, even longer than that. I mean, the the ties to Iraq are cultural, they're political, they're religious. I mean, they're very deep. I mean, but um, overall, I mean, McCain's stance on Iran is interesting if not it requires a deal of nuance a great deal of nuance if i must say because in 2006 on face the nation he said there's only one thing worse than using the military option against iran and that's a nuclear armed iran so in a sense i mean we need a military a strong military to dis- to deter you know a future conflict and in order to back up that deterrence we need the credible use of force or the credible threat to use force but there's it's, it's kind of impossible to tell whether McCain thinks that uh, blustery rhetoric will force Iran to the negotiating table or if he really wants the military option to be a policy option of first resort. So people such as like Glenn Greenwald or Matt Iglesias, they say, well, McCain is a war hawk and he will use our military, you know, to spread liberalism and, and tyranny and kind of use the specter of terrorism to justify endless militarism. So... I don't know as much about John McCain as these fellows because they've studied him in depth. All I can say is, as far as Iran, uh, U.S. foreign policy toward Iran, is that it would exacerbate the strains on our military, that it'll make our civilian officials in the green zone sitting ducks to Iranian retaliation. So the policy going forward should definitely be more peaceful. It should not be engaging in conflict with Iran. But also if we attack Iran... It uh, inadvertently uh, drives the demand by weak states to obtain nuclear weapons. I mean, if anything, Iran and North Korea doubled down on the idea of getting nuclear weapons because they saw the fate of Iraq, which didn't have nuclear weapons. Also, it's important that whether or not McCain adheres to or heeds what I say or what other people say, I mean, it's kind of up for grabs. I mean, it's impossible to predict what McCain will do while in office because it's important to keep in mind what President Bush said on the 2000 campaign trail differed wildly from what he did while in office. So there is no way we can completely predict what he will do, what McCain will do. All we can say is how he leans. And if he applies his policies as he currently articulates, that would be horribly bad for the United States uh, in the long term. How does McCain view the traditional I guess, legacy powers uh, of, of the world. Uh, interesting enough, uh, interestingly enough, he doesn't refer to them generally as a monolith. With Brazil and India, he wants to incorporate them into something kind of like a league of democracies, democracies which I assume to be similar in structure to the United Nations, except only including democracies and thereby excluding non-democracies. With China and Russia, it's actually quite scary what his policies are. He wants to ostracize China and kick Russia out of the G8. And what's interesting is that, at least for Russia, Russia is of critical importance to U.S. national security because we need to maintain their cooperation in securing their loose nuclear material. 
Also, Russia is a veto-wielding member of the UN Security Council, and it's a member of the six-party nuclear talks with North Korea. So if we're serious about limiting the spread of nuclear weapons, if we're serious about uh, uh, containing the threat from rogue regimes, we shouldn't be reconfiguring the G8 or other institutions to exclude Moscow. With China, uh, I mean, China is emerging as, uh, you know, the great, the next great power. It's uh, risen at an average real rate of 9 to 10% per year for the past 30 years. So it's the second largest economy in the world right now. And McCain wants to ostracize it, but again, not only is it also uh, on the UN Security Council and also a member of the six-party talks just with Russia, but right now, uh, the economic rise of China is fueling a deep sense of national pride, and that's important for it, uh, essentially important for it uh, to as a realizing itself as another great power in the eyes of the world. So to ostracize it at such a critical moment of its ascendancy will marginalize forces in China who want to have greater ties with the West and also undermine the idea of greater political liberalization within China itself. Also, what's important to keep in mind is that China has strategic footholds in the Caucasus and Latin America and Africa and all these uh, different continents. And so if we want to kind of facilitate its stance as a responsible stakeholder, we shouldn't be trying to ostracize or exclude, exclude Beijing. Malou Innocent is a foreign policy analyst at the Cato Institute. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. Read more on the foreign policy of candidates at Cato.org.